I imagine Sammy Ramsey walking onto the set of CBS Mornings. The show hosts shuffle paper, skim their notes about the entomology guest, and glance at Sammy, expecting to see a shy researcher who finds comfort in the granularity of bugs. But before they can offer him advice, Sammy breaks into a wide smile, looks each person in the eye and says, you'll do great. As they blast into the interview, Sammy weaves together a warm personality, hysterical quotes, and profound research stated in accessible terms that causes everyone to search for their phones and glimpse the bugs he discusses. In a blink, the interview ends, and I imagine the cast and set crew aglow, each person wishing they could be pulled into Sammy's gravity again. I can't imagine a better way to end our first season of The Ampersand. On this, our eighth episode, you will hear how Sammy weaves together his loves of entomology, singing in several languages, public speaking, faith, identity, social justice, and so much more. While ending comes naturally now, Sammy also discusses the ways in his career that he tried to code switch and change how he presented himself to match the preferences or context that others preferred. This was equal parts exhausting and lonely, and instead, he decided to fully embrace Anding and, in his words, Sammy as he is all the time. On the ampersand, we call this bringing together of the impossible, the alchemy of Anding. Together, we'll hear stories of humans who imagine and create by colliding their interests. Rather than thinking of and as a simple conjunction in that conjunction-junction kind of way, we will hear stories of people who see and as a verb, a way to speak the beautiful when you intentionally let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. As St. Mary Oliver asks, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Oh, I love this question. When I'm mothering, creating, and collaborating, it reminds me to replace a singular idea of what I think I should become with a full sensory verb about experiencing. I'm Erica Randall, and this is Sammy Ramsey on The Ampersand. Let me say, I didn't... I don't truly feel like I had much of a choice when it came to ending, or at least I didn't like the other options because I have a multifaceted intersectional identity. Um, And so it's been difficult for me in that I've never really felt like I fit in any of the spaces that I jump into. So uh, as a queer person, I'm always like too gay for the Christians. But as a a person of faith, I'm always (laughs) too Christian for the gays. Like um, as uh, as a really, really like excitable scientist, oftentimes uh, some of the other sciencey folks feel that the way that I come off is unprofessional. Much that shirt you're wearing right now under that very professorial cardigan. I know it's got a lot going on, but we got like um, professor by the fire Mm -hmm. and then let's Let's, let's go like a little, oh, little yeah. Cosmo cocktail happy oh, yeah. hour. That's mm-hmm. how I do it, though. I, every day. And, I mean, my choice there was to either start projecting one aspect of my identity to different groups or to give them all of it at once. Now, 
I gave people all of it at once. Didn't always turn out well. So for a while, code switching was a huge part of life. When I would hang out with a certain group of people, um, I would speak the way that they spoke and try to, to present only the side of me that I knew that they would connect with. And I got really tired of that. And lonely. Yeah, That's not lonely. you. That's not Sam. It's not fully me. It's only a facet of me. So anding became a really important part of this. And it, it hasn't been something that I've done throughout... Um, my life consistently. I've bounced back and forth. But at this point, I've decided it's Sammy as he is all the time. <laughs> yes, I'm with this. I mean, I have very often in my life been said that I'm extra. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you get extra? Oh, yeah. I'm like guac, baby. I'm extra. Mm hmm. All the time. <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. And not on the side. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, we mix it in. Yeah. <laughs> we mix it in. You got to stir. <laughs> and so, okay, I really, but it wasn't always this way. There was the code switching, Sammy. There was the showing up in a category, Sammy. Yeah. There was a, I got to put this on, right? So that you went into the proverbial closet and understood this outfit will now speak to these folks. And was that a true story as a, as a, as a kiddo? When you were a kitten, did you think I have to be in a lane or did you, were you, Maybe that way when you were young and then you lost. Precisely. Oh, you got this. You, I can tell you've been through some of this yourself. When I was a kid, I was the, the most bright-eyed, bubbly, effervescent. The world is such a beautiful place and everybody's so nice. And as you interact with more and more groups of people, sometimes that veneer tends to rub off. Um, there were ways that some cynicism worked its way in. And I felt like different groups of people just didn't connect to me as all of me. When people saw ways that they could potentially, I don't want to say capitalize, but this is capitalism. So yeah, capitalize off of the skill set that I have. I was encouraged by more than a few people who wanted to guide my career. As a child actor. (laughs) No, as an etymologist. Well, yeah, no, as well, as an entomologist, as a vocalist, as a performer, as a public speaker. Any of the lanes, someone could get in there and say, I'm going to take this Sammy and we're going to go. I uh, I was told I want you to take a single theme, make that uh, your social media theme. So Dr. Sammy, the scientist. So no more music. Don't do the music thing. That's too confusing for people that you're singing in English. You're singing in Thai. You're doing entomology stuff. You're doing public speaking stuff. You're talking about faith stuff. It's all too much. Pick one. And the thing that people want to see is Dr. Bugs, Dr. Sammy, the entomologist. So stick with that one. And when I was in graduate school, I was repeatedly told these little science lessons that you're doing online, the science communication thing. Don't do it. That's going to cause people to take you less seriously. As a scientist, you really need to stop that. And you've definitely got to stop the singing thing. Like you, this, this whole musical persona. These were mentors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hilariously enough, when I was an undergrad, I was told, you know what? You had a really difficult time in chemistry this semester. Everybody's not cut out for college, but you're a great singer. Maybe you should just do the music thing. So, do you, and, and can we also pause on the do the music thing mm-hmm. as if that were an easy choice? As a dancer, folks are always saying, oh, how fun. Uh-huh. Oh, so fun. You get to do that. No. So, so I'm imagining as a professor, you're a different kind of mentor. I'm definitely a different kind of mentor. My mentoring style 
really considers the fact that so many students in graduate school have had a terrible time with advisors already, or they've heard of their friends who have had a terrible time with advisors. And I want to make sure that I'm not the sort of person that continues to perpetuate those difficulties. It's easy to do because being a professor is a stressful job. You're constantly being evaluated. You're worried about whether you're going to get tenure and then after tenure, full professorship and yada, 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 yada. And it can create this very selfish dynamic to the way that you think where your students are just a means to an end. If they do well, then you can more easily get tenure. If they're struggling, you need to stop investing so much in them so that you can upgrade other levels of your portfolio and ensure you get tenure. I don't want to focus so heavily on that set of goals that I forget that these individuals are people. And so I take those those times where I am getting really hyper-focused on different categories and remember, I am a lot of different things, not just someone who wants tenure. And the anding is what allows me to be a helpful professor to them. That was a mic drop. <laughs> that was the quietest that Sammy and I will be all day. Was that? I believe that. Uh-oh, the sweater's coming off. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's just, a, it's a powerful thing to see humans for who they are and know that those those elements are what actually are going to grow them in their research, in their humanity, in their... Uh, I talk to my students about um, doing 10% less. And that doesn't mean in the categories of things, but how do we actually come at all the things we love so that we can bring all the things we are, but, but just... 10% less mm-hmm. so that you can just not feel like I have to cut out a lane because that's what's so often said to us. When when I was young and I wanted to be a dancer, I also wanted to be a dancer and a writer. And, you know, I had this, this sense, but I wanted to be a dancer. That was going to be the vehicle. Did you have the vehicle for yourself? Mm-hmm. You had it. Yeah. You no, it. for sure. I So I knew... At age seven. So I told my parents as a seven-year-old, I'm going to be an entomologist when I grow up. Yeah, it was pretty cool, actually. (laughs) What did it? Well, I mean, so the funny thing is, I generally assumed everybody knew what they wanted to be when they grew up. Oh, me too. hundred percent. That's why I'm a failure as a mother. (laughs) My 11 year old doesn't know. And I'm like, wait, you said something different last week. Failing. Because parents, I mean, adults ask little kids all the time. And what do you want to be when you grew up? So I just assumed everybody knew. And it literally wasn't. I thought you were going to say you assumed that everybody wanted to be an entomologist. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) That would have been. No, 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 no. I knew I was. I knew I was an oddity in that one. But I thought everybody had it figured out until I got to college and watched all of my friends change majors like eight times. So it was it it was actually a really fascinating moment of interaction with my parents that I think of as this really pivotal point at seven at seven. Yeah. And it's funny because my parents hardly even remember. Of course. Like like, we just we We said so much stuff. Yeah. We just heard this story. But you held on. Did you put it in? Did you write it down? I did. did. I did. It was actually published in the Entomological Society of America. You wrote it down at age seven and it was published in the. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I think I was 10. At that time. So can you can you read from your brain what you said? I'll read from my brain. Let me see. Um, when I was younger, I was absolutely terrified of insects. But not like typical, there's a cockroach on the floor and I'm a little scared of it, but I'm going to put it in a cup and take it outside. Not that, not, not, not that sort of deal. No, no, no. I was the sort of terrified where I wouldn't go outside for recess. 
because I didn't want to encounter any insects on their own turf, so I'm going to stay inside. No encounters. No encounters. Um, I was the sort that was consistently having nightmares about insects to the extent that my father had to come into my room at night when I wake up in a night terror and step on individual insects as the only way to get me to go back to sleep. So you hate Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goldblum has made some some decisions. <laughs> but um, it, it was... Um, it was my mom who had this bright idea of uh, let's let's get him a library card. So my parents told me people fear what they don't understand. And as a seven year old armed with my brand new library card, my parents parked me in the entomology section of the library. They're like, learn about these creatures and then you won't fear them. I love so, your parents. Aren't they the coolest? Do we love your parents? Aren't they the coolest? Do they feel that way about everything, about dealing with the world that this is this is how Dr. Sammy is. What I love about my parents is they never saw a reason for me to section off all of the chunks of my identity either. Um, they knew that I was a little strange. I was consistently being told, really? You, you, you want to be an entomologist? This is what other people were saying. My parents were saying, you you do this. If you're excited about this, this is what you How long do. did you stay in the library? How long did you Oh, stay? my gosh. So the entire summer, I was just going back pretty much every day, checking out books, learning about these creatures. I remember the very first book that I checked out was called Chirping Insects. Yeah. I still remember the book. I still remember the the cover and everything. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, love story. I had a bunch of bugs that really got on my nerves, and so I wanted to target them. And crickets and grasshoppers, uh, crickets and katydids were really confusing to me because I truly thought that they were making all of this noise to get on my nerves, to keep me up. The hilarious part about it is creatures like camel crickets, when they jump at you, it's an evolutionary adaptation that truly wouldn't work if you were in on what they were doing. Okay, what I, I so, Okay, let's get in. So the idea is they jump at you to frighten you yeah, away. They think you're small. Even No, 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 no. They think that you are going to be afraid of them yeah. because they're so bold, they're but they don't so have anything bold. to back it up. They're the brashest mm-hmm. creatures on Earth. So basically the idea is they think you're going to look at them and say, why is it jumping at me? It must know something I don't know. I'm going to run away. And it works. It truly works all the time. People are constantly calling me about camel crickets that charge them and are going to murder them. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just a cricket. It's an has no powers. It's all false bravado. Yeah. I guess bravado is awful. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so so you, went to the, you went to the naughty list first. Yeah. You were and, like, Mm-mm, these are the ones I can't even take. But the very first thing that I learned about these creatures were that they wanted so many of the same things that we want as human beings. So those crickets are out there looking for a mate. And the song that they're singing is a song of loneliness and hopefulness of, come on, there's somebody out here that's got to hear me, got to hear this beautiful song and think that I am worthwhile. Please, please, come on, come on, come on over here. And it's it's like their version of Tinder. It's kind of cute. So you're an empath. I'm, I'm, I'm just a touch, just a touch of the empathy going on there. So now... I have a cricket mm-hmm. with an acoustic guitar yeah. and a spotlight yeah. and a field. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the world is empty. Mm-hmm. And my heart, yeah. my heart. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that you've taken that opportunity to just hear the song of the cricket in your heart because it's a beautiful one. If, if you were to name that song, mm-hmm. what would you call that song? I believe that song is called... Uh, <clears throat> Hey, this we thing. 
I've been this lonely for a long, long time. Why don't you, uh, why don't you bring that file on over here and, uh, we can make some sweet, beautiful music together. Oh, yeah. I'm trying not to laugh into the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) That was my favorite cricket impression Mm -hmm. ever. Oh, yeah. Wait till Pixar gets a hold of that. Oh, yeah. No, all crickets are very white to me. Mm-hmm. It's the, the problem that you can probably see why I run into this issue of people feeling that the way that I do science yeah. is unprofessional. Yeah. And part of it is the I like to tell people that the most effectively I've been able to communicate information to people is when they're awake. And so My goal is to make sure that when I am communicating science, when I'm interacting with people, that I bring the entirety of my personality to that one, because people think that personality is a liability in a lot of these professional contexts. That's something that needs to be ditched in order for you to be successful. I disagree. Disagree card, 100%. But secondly, because people aren't used to seeing or hearing people like me in science, and I need them to know that I don't have to look or sound anything like anyone else you have ever seen science, diversity is absolutely essential to a healthy, functioning ecosystem in science and to the human ecosystem that we have built around ourselves. Yes. And this is a critical thing for you in the role of a professor, for you in the role as an educator, just uh, across the areas that you're passionate about, Mm -hmm. how you showing up 100 percent, 112 percent. We got to get the extra on actually does the world as much good or more good than the science can do in the categories that we're told have more value than the embodied. Mm-hmm. And that's what so, was so exciting for me when I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you, listening to you when I was reading you, listening to you talking about diversity as a, as, as a necessity to the way that we're thinking, to the way that we're living, to the way that we're cohabitating with Animal life, human life, it's all, it's always, it's not, there's not a column, there's not a a place for us to just check. But the more that we're looking at the world from a diverse lens and you, you do this in your classroom by showing up, Mm -hmm. you do this in your research by showing up, Mm -hmm. you do this in church, you do this in this interview, you do this in humanity. Is there a time when all that ending and all that showing up gets quiet Hmm. and Sammy doesn't have to be. So my social battery, if you will, is actually charged by being around people. Uh, I get really excited, get full of energy when I'm around other people. I can just hang out for really lengthy periods of time. It's as soon as I'm not around people that all of that energy evaporates. I take a deep breath and then I just kind of chillax. <laughs> but you don't go into it. So, so I often tell my students, I'm like, don't worry. I, I know I'm a lot, mm-hmm. but I cry every day. Like, I feel like I have to say that almost as a, but you feel the same. You, do you feel me? Like, is there like a, the moment where you go, oh, God, it's a lot. Like, because I'll be feel, like, because I'm in all the feelings, the open wound kind of feeling the world. You're feeling all the bugs. I mean, you have a huge population that your heart is taking care of. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel it. All the time, though. And the question is, how much of it do I like? I I kind of have to release it in doses. Um, My primary way of doing that is through singing. Yes. I do a lot of singing randomly to myself, Um, a lot of singing when I'm just in my car. And and 
It's kind of my way of regulating my mood and releasing those emotions in ways that are healthy, kind of a pressure relief valve. Um, that's my way of doing it. I guess that's my version of crying every day. I, if, if you get through an entire 24 hours without me singing a single note, I'm not alive. Not good. Mm-hmm. Not good. Mm-hmm. 911 immediately. Yeah, not conscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So in the world, there are bugs we want to step on. Mm-hmm. There are bugs that deserve violence. Okay, I'm not going to say anything more about that word, violence, that Mm. folks have sometimes associated with one of the most non-seemingly non-violent humans I've ever met. I want to take a, I want to, because I'm into the metaphor, there are some bugs we want to step on. Are there other things that Sammy wants to step on? (laughs) What else do you just want to just take out? Like, we don't need it. Okay. Not healthy to this. So you're definitely referring to uh, CBS. I I um, might be. I might be mm -hmm. referring to the thing that was a TikTok that became Uh a Insta, that became a Mm -hmm. meme, that became a, I think it became a Fortnite dance. Yeah. CBS Mornings, um, probably one of my most viewed interviews. I say to Tony and Vlad and, and Gail King, like, yeah, we as the scientific community want you to choose violence. And I was like, this is probably going to be taken out of context at some point. Uh, so you got to watch it, Sammy. But I was specifically talking about a single insect, the spotted lanternfly. And I actually don't think the insect deserves violence. It's not that insect's fault that it's here. We did this. We keep doing this. We have a global ecosystem now. They are no longer the discrete pockets of ecosystem that used to exist back in the day where you could say the the Asian ecosystem, the African ecosystem, the North American, South American. Everything moves around now because we are we as human beings have gained the ability to travel all the way across the world in a matter of hours. So we take things with us. We can't expect the insects not to do the same. Exactly. And as we have done many times, we've brought over plants and pottery and other things from other countries that have had little egg masses in them. And those insects have found an entire environment where nothing eats them. And that is amazing for them. They are living their best lives. Uh, I'm happy for them. Problem is, when they live their best lives too long and too strong, they can actually demolish important elements of the ecosystem that we rely on and that other organisms rely on. And so our goal is to set things back to the way that they were before, to hopefully remove those organisms from the ecosystem and have them remain in the ecosystem where they have predators. How do we do this? Well, we, we, <laughs> we, as the research community, the research. are working on um, it, it, ways to actually control these organisms, either through biological control, um, through messing around with their genetics. Um, we're going to attempt to find a way. in their home areas with really good sushi restaurants. See, no, that would do it. Yeah. That I would mean, do if it. If we were just to take the, the new, not, you can't just have like row, you got to you gotta put up something that feels established, that would, that maybe a pub. They would have to liquefy the sushi, though, because yeah, yeah. their mouth is a straw, so they can't really okay. chew. So a pub. Yeah, a pub. A pub would be great. Okay. A pub would be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what we got to get on. Yeah. But we're, we're working on that. In the interim, we want to ensure that these organisms don't spread farther and their populations don't get so huge that we, even if we come up with a great idea, we can't control them. And why are we so mad at them? What are they hurting? These aren't our bee killers. Are <laughs> why are we mad at them? You know the primary reason why we're mad at them? Why are we mad at them? They're messing with our wine. Oh, well, yeah. okay. Now mm-hmm. you, all yep. the moms mm-hmm. out there, all yep. the moms who made it through COVID. Yeah. You're with me. Yeah. Violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there is an, an an old African-American proverb that I feel like really applies well here is, ain't nobody got time for that. And honestly, 
Nobody has got time for these insects to be destroying our wine crops. No, okay. And, er, I mean, all these vineyards out here, they are really, really, really concerned about the impact that these insects have. And they stick their mouth parts in the plant and they suck the, the fluids out that would allow for these plants to eventually make the kinds of grapes that would make for great wine. So do you have a, like, free Airbnb stay on the... California northern coast do they just love you there are you a spokesmodel <laughs> do you just get you know like advent wine calendars sent to you a new wine a day are, are, did you even know that this was coming that you were now going to be the, the the face of protecting the, wine yeah, yeah uh huh <laughs> the face of big wine <laughs> I mean, as somebody who barely ever drinks, uh, I'm not the one that you would expect to be the face of yeah, big wine. No but boy, Roy Rose. Yeah, it, precisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was his name? Bingo Lingafelter? What? Yeah. Lane Bingheimer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, but you here you are showing up. The face of bugs. The face of big wine. And then... The face of joy, because this the joy situation is also happening. (laughs) It's happening. It's happening in your life. Right. Do you feel like you have your all the all the choices, all the the coming together, all the ending? Is it bringing you joy? So here's something really interesting. Joy can be really difficult for people sometimes when they're seeing it consistently in another individual it can leave them with the impression that something is wrong with them why am i not feeling that sense of joy why aren't why don't i wake up in the morning with just this verve and excitement for life and so i've actually met a few people who've really poked at the idea that this joy exists inside of me and they've tried to figure out if it's fake. Um, they tried to figure out if it's performative. They've tried to figure out if it's toxic. Um, at the end of the day, I really enjoy getting to be all of me and I've had to fight for it. I've had to fight at church to just be able to exist as a queer person in the entirety of uh, my identity in all the places where it applies. Um, I've been excommunicated from church and had to figure out how do I uh, continue to be a person of faith because I'm not going to let people just take things from me that I don't think that they should be able to take. Um, They don't get that. But how do I then do that knowing that the communities of faith that I'm used to don't see me as someone who's welcome there? How do I continue being an entomologist when um, I was actually, and this is, <laughs> this was pretty tough, uh, I was actually removed from graduate school um, during my, what was that, my second year of my PhD. Um, I was told your grades are great. Um, you've got a great project here, but something about you just doesn't seem like doctoral material. So I'm dismissing you from the program. Yeah. You can see my human mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. Remember what I told you about how people are treated in graduate school at times? When you don't fit, uh, even if it doesn't, even if it's not germane to the science itself, if you don't fit, it's like Mean Girls. You can't sit with us. You can't sit with us. You can't sit with us. And I had to fight to get back into graduate school. I have fought in all of these categories of my identity just to exist as who I am. And... I won those fights. Yeah, you earned the joy. And so the joy that I have, I, 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 uh, Tori Kelly has this song called Unbreakable Smile. I feel like I've got this unbreakable smile that I fought for, and no one's taking that from me. Nobody's taking that. <laughs> it's amazing, Sammy. I, I think of, in my field, being told not being right happens all the time, particularly 
to female bodies, to black female bodies. Um, oh, yeah. But in my own cis white body and in my own queer body, I was told no a lot when it came to, to molds. And and I, I don't think that my brain had caught up to that notion in the sciences where it seems like you would have all this evidence mm-hmm. that you were killing it. Mm-hmm. All this evidence that you can be and do and connect and draw from and move forward. All this evidence. And they could still say no. They can still say no because we have a very problematic structuring to graduate school. Um, I've jumped into the mix here and I know that I'm still pretty vulnerable as somebody who doesn't have tenure, but it is my hope to be able to promote change or at the very least be able to promote the sorts of conversations that get people thinking about this. When you get a degree as an undergraduate, uh, that degree is going to say that you satisfy the requirements of the university and the department that you are a part of. When you get a degree as a graduate student, it says you satisfied the requirements of the department and the university and your faculty member. That faculty mentor is the only element of that where what you need to do is not defined. The number of credits you need is defined. Uh, the number, the sorts of classes you need to take are defined. But what your faculty member might want from you can even come down to you need to be more doctoral material. I'm not sure what that is. But you just need to be it. Be it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I was told, yeah, it just doesn't seem like you can be it. There is a I'm not sure quite what it is, is an exact quote. I can't quite put my finger on it, but you're missing something. You just don't have the skill set of a scientist. And I don't think you can learn it. OK. And I was told as a dancer, you're going to have to open your aperture to data. Oh. What you does know, that mean? Dancers can't count past eight. <laughs> so, so, so thank goodness you knew not to listen. Thank goodness the cricket song was louder. <laughs> I love that. The cricket song was louder. The cicada song was louder. And the song of my heart that sings in different keys and is constantly modulating, melismas everywhere. I knew that that song could not be the vibrant symphony that it should be unless I got to include all the different instruments, all the different movements. And so I fought. And I'm really glad that I am currently in a space. Uh, I love being here at Boulder. I love um, being at the BioFrontiers Institute and the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. They have spent so much time making it clear to me that they support me, that they understand that this multifaceted identity uh, is going to be different from what they're used to, but they're here for it. And I love finally being in a context where all of those elements of my identity get to just vibe together and create this super cool frequency <laughs> oh, I my face hurts my actual fa- I have like the tear duct feeling where I'm gonna cry at any second and then I got my cheeks pushing into it so there's this because it's it's um it's really rare to get to spend time with a human who is as present with who they are and the challenges and so I I, I feel like you're not an underbug at all. There's not a single part of you that is feeling like um, that old stuff is stopping. The curiosity, the the anding, the um, just the loving being here. It's it's amazing. So so singing. There's also things that bugs um, 
do, which is they build things, right? Do you get into all all bug activities? Like, are you like obsessed <laughs> with like the bugs? And then, so you sing. Like, are you a builder? Are you a what do you what, what are the other ways where you're like, oh my god, I really am metamorphosizing into my research. I see you over there. Mm-hmm. You, I see you. I'm feeling. I'm just like I'm just receiving. I'm just a, a mirror to your awesome. Mm, not even remotely true. Really? So, you, the way that you are synthesizing this information uh, is allowing for this conversation to really be just very mutual, very beautiful. I'm really enjoying this. I'm super grateful. As an entomologist, I like to tell people um, I primarily study pollinator health and symbioses, um, close relationships between organisms that make incredible things happen. Like um, this, that's happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This one's a mutualism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's parasitism, okay. sometimes it's commensalism. This one's a mutualism. mutualism. Okay, I'm so glad to know that. But there, I also like for people to know I'm an equal opportunity entomologist. I've been studying all the different kinds of insects for a long time. Um, the very first lecture that I gave in my insect bio class this semester, um, I wanted to focus on this one specific theme. I told my students, entomology is the study of diversity. There is no more diverse group of organisms on this planet than insects. Um, just, what is it? Uh, two-thirds of every, uh, two-thirds of all the animals are insects. Like, uh, three-quarters by some measures, actually. So, it's really remarkable to think that the greatest amount of diversity are creatures that we consistently step on or ignore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bugs are the most fascinating thing we've but ever seen. when you just on. said that, I know, but then they, when you put that into the metaphor of the world... Yeah. Oh, you just broke my heart again. Yeah. I mean, it's rough considering that in the world that we exist in, um, the, the people that... Well... Am I going to jump into that right now? Go. Well, okay, here we go. (laughs) In the world that we currently exist in, if you were to look at so much of our media, so much of our attention, it's uh, mostly about white people, even though they are not the primary group of like there are more uh, people who are not white on this planet by far. (laughs) And it's interesting to consider that we as human beings there are a lot of people that we forget about, that we don't consider, or that we even step on at times. And think about what they bring to the table. Um, I think it was Stephen Jay Gould um, who said that um, he has to think about the fact, and this is a paraphrasing, he has to think about the fact that while Einstein was incredible, there are intellects just as amazing as his that have lived and died never leaving the paddy field where they grew up. Uh, Never once uh, have many of us had the opportunity to interact with individuals from these far-flung reaches of the world and think about the things that they can teach us. Because as I said before, uh, entomology is the study of diversity, but what is diversity itself? Uh, Organisms achieve diversity by finding a way to solve a problem that another creature hasn't thought of. And think about how incredible that would be for us if we truly embraced that. Our country, the, the United States, is so incredible because of the remarkable diversity that we have allowed in and that we have nurtured in a number of ways. And now that we are starting to see so many different people from so many different places, there are individuals who have sought to use that as a way to divide us and frighten us into thinking that that diversity is going to be our demise when it has only been our strength to this point. 
I am so glad you went there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad you went there. I am so glad because I hear it in the, the depth of your research and your knowing and that it isn't a metaphor, that it's actually, it's science. Oh, yeah. And it's also, it's superhuman to be able to articulate it. Um, I'm looking to Tim. Do I have to, is it time? Can I keep going? Oh, no. no. Oh, no. Tim gave Oh, no. Because I, this is the moment I was afraid of from the very beginning. Yeah. It doesn't mean we can't. Okay. It just means you got to have me back. I'm going to have you back. and Or that we can look for bugs. It's happening. We're doing the thing. Let's do this thing. Okay, but before we do the thing, mm-hmm. this is this is our flash round. I call it the quick and dirty. Let's do this. This is where, you, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you. This is the lightning bug this round. This is lightning. Oh, oh my God. Oh, why didn't I do? <laughs> Sammy. Well, you thought of underbug. I love that. Okay, I didn't even mean to think of that. I just said it. All right, okay, so I'm going to give you a topic and you're going to say the first word or phrase that has and in it that comes to mind. So if I say a terrifying yet harmless bug, you could say the giant grassland cicada. You see how the and was? In? Okay. Can you work with me on this? Oh, this is going to be tough. Okay. okay. You could say two together. You could and it together. Okay. Okay. A terrifying yet harmless bug. Hmm. Terrifying. Ah, 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 ah. The, uh. The New Zealand Weta. The New Zealand Weta. Yes. Okay, great. Well played. They're well played. gigantic. They're gigantic, but not. We can ride them, but we don't yeah. be scared of them. They can, like, eat a whole carrot out of your hand. They're so cute. So cute. Really cute. Okay, you heard that, friends at home. Really cute. Okay, title of a bug book people would read with and in it. Ooh. Uh, you can be making this up. Yeah, no. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Sammy and the Giant Bee. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, if you were to have... A TikTok moment. Mm-hmm. What would you and on the TikTok? What would I and on the TikTok? <laughs> um, hmm. Finger pose to mouth. Release. Finger pose to mouth. Release. <laughs> <laughs> that was the dance annotation of what Dr. Sammy just did. What would you? Is that the move? <laughs> what would you and on the TikTok? I think I would and black tie and gospel. So black tie is my Thai singing persona when I sing Thai music. And I love like mixing Thai music with like that gospel sensibility. So yeah, some black tie and some gospel. Yes. Okay. Tuning in. Mm -hmm. The greatest one hit music album. Oh, oh my. Hmm. These are tough. I know. I know. Because they say fast just to make you just search into the library of your mind, but it's not really fast. No, no, it's not. Okay, all. all right. I'm going to make it easy. The greatest album in your heart space that has and in it. Any album. Doesn't have to be one hit. Any favorite album with and. Hmm. 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 <laughs> um. Kirk Franklin and the family? <laughs> I don't know this one, but I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> All right, your favorite pollen-inspired food with and. My favorite pollen-inspired food with and. Mm-hmm. So like honey and toast. Mm-hmm. Bee bread and jelly. Oh, bee bread and jelly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to have that on our on our picnic when yeah. we go out Let's do that. looking for bugs. Okay, every episode we have a moment. Mm-hmm. You're addressing a crowd. You're sending them off to the next. Mm -hmm. And... And I would like to say, don't let anybody tell you how your story ends. 
you are establishing something that is all your own. This is your song. This is your story. This is your movement. And nobody knows how this is going to end. You don't even know how this is going to end. So don't let other people tell you that they know. Don't let them uh, modulate or, or change how all of this is going for you. You got this. The Ampersand is written and produced by me, Erica Randall and Tim Grassley. If there are folks you'd like to hear from on The Ampersand, do please email us at asinfo at colorado.edu. Our theme music was composed and performed by Nelson Walker, a CU Boulder alum, brilliant cellist, composer, and a fantastic dancer. Episodes are recorded at Interplay Studios in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Erica Randall. And this is The Ampersand.